Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined by the incomparable Carl Alexander. Hi, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like pleased to be here. It's awesome. Cool. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Aww. Yeah, we've been creating, like working all day on creating a series of nooks in our apartment, which I really appreciate. And mm-hmm. this is now the like podcasting nook, and it really feels that way, which I'm really glad yes. for. Yes. It's very um, nooky. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh my god! And like Moody is in lap. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's in position, yeah. living her best life, and she's, I'm here for it. She's so good. She's so <laughs> tiny. Can't I can't handle her. I was talking about her at work today, and um, and my boss asked me. I was like, "Yeah, she's like really small," and she was like, "How much does she weigh?" Which like. I don't know why, but I, it, like, it made, it, like, I got, I got, um, the question of how much does my cat weigh was very, like, because I was, like, I don't know, like, (laughs) six pounds, Mm -hmm. maybe, and she was, like, that's so small, and I was, like, I know, and, but then I was, like, is six pounds right, and then in my head I was, like, well, I know that she weighs less than a bag of flour, right, (laughs) like, that's for sure, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, she's just cute. Yeah, sweetest thing in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, we met, or not actually met, but met online, which is one of my favorite things in the world because yes. I think I saw, um, the like there were a couple of videos of you that went viral as a countertenor yeah. doing specific because you were doing I think it was that you were doing women's rep, right? Yes. Which which was rad as fuck. <laughs> um, and then I remember like because I don't just add people randomly but i think i yes, saw you do. i do i do, do that. <laughs> but i, I specifically saw the voice project and i was like oh i'm gonna make sure to add i do this is what i do mm-hmm. and tell me if this is, makes me a monster and you feel monsterized by this <laughs> but i add people that i know we want to cover mm-hmm. to be to, to so that i don't forget that i want do you know what i mean by yeah. that yeah it's and purposeful I, absolutely but so anyway, um, so I'm really glad to have you on. It's really exciting. Um, the thing that I, I know that we uh, that folks will probably most want to hear about is um, is about the Voice Project mm-hmm. and kind of what the project is about and you know why you started it and what it's working to do. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, the Voice Project is like my little baby that's come about in the last six months uh i just finished doing a a major recital called shelter Mm -hmm. uh which is a look into post-traumatic slave syndrome um and it was really heavy and we can talk more about that later yeah i um, (laughs) I would love to that became the 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 it created this little bubble this little dream of what became the voice project which will hopefully be and continue to be a space where we do new music uh, mm-hmm. for composers who just don't exactly get a chance to have their music put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first group of people I thought of were these marginalized young black composers who are mm-hmm. s- either stuck in the niches of trying to fit into the composers who are out in the 60s, 70s, and 80s who are talking about things that were back in the Harlem Renaissance and during the Civil Rights Movement. But their their lives and their experiences are much different yeah. than those older composers. And so I wanted to give them a chance and a space to say things that they felt that were affecting them on a day-to-day basis that were affecting their communities and people who looked like them um 
So I, I'm really excited about this opportunity, this installment of the Voice Project. In the coming years, we're going to do some other things with uh, Northwestern University composers, giving them a chance to write for the Voice and write for other ensembles. Um, and then the next years, like two years later from that, um, will be purely instrumental stuff. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm excited yeah. about it. Um, yeah, it's super interesting to me because it's interesting to think about. You know, being a classically trained musician, there's a lot of um, implied things to that, and a lot of them are a lot of them can be very white supremacist mm -hmm. and very in a, in a way that like a lot of composers that we deem like worthy of being considered a classic, right? Um, and a lot of ways are overlooking a lot of the work that's been done over mm -hmm. the years, um, and so I love putting that, that you're putting that highlight on this work. Do you find you, that you um, prefer to work with living composers, or do you also like to delve into, like, the musicological remnants of of the neglected works in the past? I love it all. I just recently did um, a project about uh, Liza Lehman. She did um, cool. this really beautiful, what's it called? I'm trying to remember. Brain fart. Come on! Nope, not happening. In a Persian Garden. There you go. Um, it's a beautiful piece. And a lot of famous singers actually got their start doing that piece. Marian mm -hmm. Anderson, uh, specifically. Mm -hmm. First time that she actually got to sing the alto, like, big alto arias and, you know, robust sound, full with orchestra. Um, and so, recently I did with Henry Plez and the uh, Unveiled Voices Project. And it was all men. And so I actually got to sing the soprano part. And that was beautiful, seeing how Liza Lehman, this female composer in the early 20th century crossing over from the from Europe to the US getting all these major performances in the US and uh, taking apart some Eastern thought Eastern religious thought and trying to cross it over to Christianity so it, it was kind of mainstream um, and then also just looking at the way that she wrote uh, vocally it was is beautiful incredibly lyric and I just, I fell in love with it. I just, so like moments like that are beautiful, but I also love doing the contemporary stuff where I get to sit there right. and talk with the composer and be like, do you really want this? <laughs> or like, or what were you thinking? Yeah. And I, I mean, I, the cerebral part of me loves to probe right. the stuff that I don't know and, the, and I can't have that conversation to find those things out. But when I do get a chance to, oh man, the list is ready and mm -hmm. I'm there and I'm loving it. I'm soaking it up. So it's been great. I actually like... All this morning, I've been talking to Blasio Kavuma, uh, who is one of the composers in the UK. Cool. And so he's like, you know, like six plus hours ahead of me. So he's like messaging me on Facebook and I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's figure this out. Great. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, now go to bed. <laughs> exactly. And then Justine Verrier, she's from, uh, she's in Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, we met in Italy this summer um, and she's a fantastic composer. And so like, she'll message me sometimes weirdly at night because it's like, early morning there or something and I'm mm -hmm. just like what's happening uh, but we usually have a lot of fun conversations so I love I love working with contemporary music it's it's my dream that's always a really um, fun thing for me because the folks that are making music and specifically there's just so many uh, online spaces that are kind of international spaces yeah and it's it's interesting to me having that and then also having the like <laughs> Because because there's it's a it's a bunch of artistic people. Mm -hmm. Some some people just wake up at four a.m. and are like, I need to send this message out. Exactly. And so it's like you get both ends <laughs> of like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, oh I just got an email at six, but isn't it like the middle of the night where exactly. you're emailing me from? That's cool. It's insane. I love That's it. That's really cool. Um, 
So where is the voiced project at like present day? Like what? Because I know that you're doing a fundraiser for it. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're consistently fundraising. This is a a very very large project for sure. that I literally dreamt up in a night in the yeah. summer. Um, and luckily I have great, awesome friends and people that I've gotten in contact with who are supporting me and helping me through this. Um, they're a fantastic team. Uh, but currently we are doing a lot of outreach, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. We get to work with a lot of high school students and oh, cool. also we get to go to colleges and talk and present. Uh, recently, I think last week I just did a performance of um, Durfle's Piezu for about 600 alum of Northwestern University, and then I got a chance to speak to them about the voice project and kind of give them a little glance at what the project's going to look like. Um, so that was fantastic. And then we've also done concerts with a high school orchestra at Niles West mm-hmm. um, just to give them a taste of what it's like to play with a singer. Um, and then we've also done some like choral stuff with the choral department. We've brought in singers that's, to teach them what professionalism yeah. is. And That's I, awesome because I think there's like a... I'm sorry, you, you do want to... Uh, so I I love the idea of um, kind of adjusting your your approach to outreach according to the people that you're reaching out to. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I have a I have a history in music outreach, and so um, I'm wondering, um, you know, I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like your views on like how how you would approach like presenting a program to Northwestern alum versus working with the orchestra at Niles West. Like, right. Like, um, I guess the thought process and how those are different. Exactly. Um, well, the Northwestern alum come with this, you know, there's a whole backline of baggage and ideas and thoughts about who they are. Um, there's a certain level which you want to just, like, be equal and be like, this is how yeah. it is for everyone. But, like, there are some things that I have to, like, really dumb down and be specific with for the high school kids, but it, it doesn't take away from their understanding. I think they get greater understanding and greater value out of it more times than the adults do. Um, but yeah, there's like a certain level of just like presentation and performance with adults because right. there's, yeah, I don't know, there's like this unspoken rule of like, yeah, you understand, we're on this level. Um, but there were times where I was just like, I'm speaking to a primarily Caucasian audience. Let me dumb down this experience for you because yeah. you don't know what this is. Um, for instance, I gave them the example of like, this is how I grew up. You come into the store and you, of course, you have, lived, you have your mother and your grandmother. Your father's not in the picture. because That's my life. Um, you go in the store with your grandmother. She tells you, put your hands in your pockets because someone's going to think you're stealing something because mm-hmm. you're a young black man in a store. The store mm-hmm. owner is white. Do not have your hands out because they will think you're going to snatch something and put in your coat and walk out. Okay, Granny, I won't do that. Go in the store with your mother. Same store, different day. Take your hands out your pocket. They think you stole something. So you can't live, you live life on this tightrope. And it's just like, that's a very minor thing. But I mean, it goes from there to old school 60s approaches to being like, you walk on the outside of the sidewalk when a white person walks down the street you don't walk on the inside and vice versa you know if there's, if there's another woman of color you need to walk you know it's keep switching so you, you what how do you live life yeah how do you how do you and i i i use when i give those examples they're very equal yeah it's very across the board um because people can understand it that way they can see why it becomes very confusing to live this double-sided life this code constant code switching this constant uncertainty um 
and but everyone comes to the to the fact that it, it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and it's not right. Yeah. Um, and so I I love getting to share that experience because that's the kernel of, of the voice project essentially for this album specifically. We look at I gave the the composers the prompt of the fire this time and the fire next time the Baldwin and the Jasmine Ward response mm-hmm. to the Baldwin. Um, and Jasmine Ward's one is a collection of works by a lot of artists, and it's fantastic because it looks at, you know, not only post-traumatic slave syndrome, it looks at the life that we live, the killing of, of young men um, and young women, the, you know, incarceration. It looks at the whole spectrum of what people of color are dealing with in the 21st century. Mm. Um, and I think the composers are doing a fantastic job of responding to it in in, in vast way. I mean, we have pieces talking about sexism uh, and gender, ideas of sexuality, ideas of what it means to be a black woman in the 21st century. And how does that, how does your your womanness uh, work in a, in a complete male space? How do you own that? How do you live in that? Yeah. Um, so topics like that become super universal. You just have to like, find ways to like, speak those truths to those people. Mm. If you see them, you can, I mean, just basic reaction. If you see this woman and you're saying something to her and she's like, I don't know what you're saying. And she shakes her head or she just looks confused. Right. Take it a level down. No yeah. one no one is against taking anything a level down. Yeah. As long as they can be like, I get you. That, I, that was actually, funnily enough, basically, because my question was, um, it's interesting to me kind of how you get, you're very good at both sides of this, of this thing of, of identity but also of building a movement and kind mm-hmm. of building uh, like a coalition, I guess is the best way to do yeah. it, of like moving, of, of like progressing forward and kind of unifying. And I think that that is a, um, that's kind of a very important balance is this idea of um, of identity, but also of, of the individual, right. but also of the let's get out there and do outreach. Let's mm-hmm. get, that's amazing. Um, do you, do you find that balance? Like, do you, do you feel that? Uh, do you? What am I trying to ask? Like, do you? Is that something that you think about, or or is it just like, like is that is the straddling of that line intentional or accidental? Like, did you did yeah. you like land there just because of your who you are and who, what your experiences are, or did you choose to live in that space? I think that I I think I just kind of landed there. I mean, I think I think everyone as individuals is very important, mm-hmm. and I people who know me and people who are friends with me know that I try to nurture nurture and care about and be about all that you are as an mm. individual. And because of that, as a result, I care about everyone and everyone is therefore taken care of and we're all on an equal playing mm-hmm. field mm-hmm. Um, in, in my general relationship. So I tend to treat everyone the same way. I've been this way since high school. It, I used to say, everyone's my best friend. Even if I didn't like you, or you didn't like me, you're all my best friends. If you give you more stars, you can have a, you can be a five star best friend, a four star best friend, three star, two star, <laughs> yeah. one star. But you're all my best friends. I'm gonna treat you just like that. Even if you spit on me, you're my best friend. And I kind of still see the world that way, which is a blessing and a curse because people will treat you wrong. Mm-hmm. But the blessing is, those people who treat you wrong will be blessed by it, and will learn that was a mistake later on. Oh, for sure. So that's a very powerful and positive outlook, and. Like, I need that more in my life. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, I I know we'll be jumping back and forth. I'm also very interested in shelter. Just because I, I, that mm-hmm. was another thing I remember seeing and being like, oh, man. Because the, the design was very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but also just the message and the content was um, was so powerful. Um, was that because there was a video that went out with that yes. too, right? Yeah. Do you mind talking thing. a little bit about like, yeah. the entire shelter concept? was like something I've been dreaming about for two years and I just didn't know what to do with it. I battled with it. I changed uh, the pieces a thousand times. I changed the topic matter. Um, I'm actually upset. There's one thing that got cut that I wish stayed, which was um, Zelensky's Opus 20. It's a fantastic piece for orchestra and baritone or mezzo. It has this whole lynching motif in it. He uses mm. texts by James Baldwin. Oh my God. Um, so it's a homage to the Harlem Renaissance because there's tons of German composers in this era who are taking texts from Harlem Renaissance poets and then using pseudo jazz slash German jazz because mm-hmm. jazz crossed over to Germany and mm-hmm. it was kind of funky and weird, awkward version of bebop. And then they <laughs> put it in the context of German art song mm-hmm. and just larger German uh, musical forms. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of obsessed with it. And I wanted to pair it with the Hale Storks Songs of Love and Justice because those are very vividly, like straight up Martin Luther King Jr. text, very heavy, very like very much felt like the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it changed over time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was fine. Um, but the whole thing was I loved, I had a class at Morehouse College. I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, it's the home of Martin Luther King Jr. He graduated from that school. That was his um, undergrad. Uh, it's where he got in contact with a lot of awesome voices in the preaching world and in the uh, philosophy world, Howard Thurman, etc. Um, which is the reason why he got to go see Gandhi and meet Gandhi and then come up with this nonviolence movement that happened mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Um, and other great voices like Spike Lee and Samuel Jackson, they all graduated from there. Uh, so I was lucky enough to go there and graduate from there and I got the experience of learning about black music and le- learning about Martin Luther King Jr. Ignazium, like so much, so many books. Mm-hmm. I have all of his books. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, and so I kind of was, I was brought alive, like alive completely by that. Um, and then I got stuck in this book by Joy DeCurry called Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Um, when I, at the same time, I was also writing this big essay called Transition Lenses. I was talking about how the black community viewed me as someone who didn't exactly identify with the black community. Um, and now that's changed completely. Like it's full 180, just like flip it over, like you're, it's different. Um, but Joy DeGuri's writings took over my life for like a, a, a year and a half. I'm just like, what is this post-traumatic slave syndrome? What is, what, what are you talking about? And it's, she just goes down to the core of it, like saying that all of these things that have happened since slavery socially, psychologically, emotionally have been passed down to you and you don't know it and you're operating in it. You're living it as truth and you don't know it. And guess what? So is politics, every power you have, money, economy, where you live, everything in your life. It's all based on this. And I was like, this can't be true. Wait a minute. So I sat there and read it did more research, read some more things, did more research, went to some of her talks, did more research. And I was like, God damn it, she's right. <laughs> she's completely right. Oh my God. Like my entire life is based on something that happened hundreds of years ago to a group of people that I definitely identify with and definitely lineage of. Yeah. But why does that have to affect, like, why can't I be free? Because mm-hmm. that's that was something I was struggling with. I have two tattoos. One says, Lord, allow me to see the truth in me no matter how beautiful it is. 
So this one was the the struggle piece that kept making me think about what is my truth? What is my freedom? How do I live? You know? Um, And I was just like, so I was flabbergasted by that and it just frustrated me. Um, And so shelter became my response to it. Mm -hmm. And so I literally lay out what happens in Joy DeGuri's book and she explains uh, very vividly all the points of post-traumatic slave syndrome and how it kind of looks like post-traumatic stress disorder and she gives symptoms, et cetera. Um, And so therefore I I wrote poetry to respond to each of them. Um, Things that came out of my mouth. I have been an award-winning poet at one point in my life. Um, So I found some of my poetry that won awards and then some new ones that I wrote. Mm -hmm. And I had people in in the community of what was being a school of music kind of just respond and read it and just react to what they were reading. Yeah. Um, and I videotaped it. Uh, from there, oh, I wow, really? picked music. Yeah. Oh, my God. So they were just reading it on the fly, but they were reacting while they were reading. Uh-huh. Um, and we kind of stitched that all together. Uh, Noah Frick Alice is the videographer. He's fantastic. He's helped me a lot. He's also on this project uh, for the voice project. He's fantastic. Um, and then from there, we picked a repertoire that would show the full spectrum. So we went back to Montsalvage, uh, doing his, um, uh, the five Nero songs that he did, uh, and completely in, uh, in, in Spanish. It's beautiful. Um, it's talking about the Afro-Cuban experience. Mm. And so the first piece, if you, some people don't actually look at it this way, but if you look at it, it's actually kind of talking about the passage. It's talking about this, someone who's lost off in sea and, you know, you, you trying to return back to this person that's, that's been gone and dead. Um, and so I take it from the passage through these tribal experiences that they're still having while uh, being displaced in Cuba, but they're still African. Um, and then you hear all these African beats inside, the African dance and tribal beats underneath all the music, the current, and then the centerpiece, which everyone loves of that song cycle, is this like beautiful rocking cradle song to the little, little baby, which is so beautiful. And people sing it all the time, out of context, just pick that song, it's beautiful. But... The whole thing saying, be careful, little black boy. Mass is around the corner. He's going to kill you. Don't make the wrong step. And so I automatically start thinking, making those cross relations of just like, this is a real life of a slave boy, mm. of like an African slave boy in Cuba. This is his reality. And his mom is warning him. And that reminded me of my childhood. Yeah. And then it definitely reminded me of the whole Emmett Till situation. Yeah. And then it, that transported me to the civil rights movement. So we go to the Hale Stork. Songs of Love and Justice, which takes tests from Martin Luther King Jr. Beautiful song cycle. I wish more people did it. It's very hard-hitting. It's very hard to sing. Um, super atonal. It, every, every piece has two and a half octaves worth of singing. So you really have to prepare yourself to do it. I, I loved it. I worked really hard on it to yeah. prepare it. I, could, I still can't to this day, and I sing it very much. I just can't get through it i will cry every time yeah that's every a time especially that's a unique uh thing for something that is so modern because yeah. like with with there's that weird when you're especially when you're doing this is actually a really uh, an interesting general question on this mm-hmm. the the idea of doing something that is so uh like emotionally and personally relevant, mm-hmm. especially especially now. Right. Um, but also, like I've done some, I've had some new music experiences, and just adding in that mm-hmm. layer of like, oh right, 
I am premiering this work for you. Exactly. And you're going to be in the audience. Like, what is that balance like? Oh, that, that has been, it, I think it adds more to it, to the, just the, the general rawness of that experience. You, 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 you throw yourself out there and hope that someone will, will accept everything of what it is. Yeah. You know? And, um, you can't, you can't predict how that's going to be you just have to give yourself over and I, I i i kind of do that with whatever i do i have no choice i literally tell people when i perform and it's true to this day i wish i could get rid of it i get on i about to get on stage temperature drops 10 degrees literally freezing cold hands get on stage blackout walk off stage here clapping i don't know what happened to this day no matter what i do Everyone's like, oh, you had so much control. Oh, what made you do make this decision? What decision? I was not there. Yeah. However, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And then I'll go back occasionally and listen and look. And I'm like, oh, that was nice. Or that was okay. I Who did that? It wasn't me. Thank you, God. All right. And then walk mm-hmm. off. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just really about giving yourself over and pouring yourself out all the time. And I mean, that's just generally how... I feel like anyone should be performing sincerely. Um, it makes it easier for anyone to receive the message, how hard, you know, how easy or how hard it is. A shelter was just like a huge pill for me to swallow. And I was like, how do I expect someone else to swallow that pill? Yeah, well, and you mentioned, um, too, how, uh, especially classical music, music, I don't know if that's the way you put it, but the way classical music audiences can be is, a lot of times, um, some parts of that audience, they're just not gonna understand. Right. They're just, not that maybe they'll feel, it's like that difference between mm-hmm. understanding and being and feeling sympathetic, right. or maybe, I'm, I get sympathetic and empathic mm-hmm. confused, but you know what I mean. Exactly. It's like maybe they'll, they'll recognize that exactly. it is a, an experience for you and for other people, mm-hmm. but they don't They don't it. draw it, they don't put that connection, and that's why we made it very important to have the visuals. I felt like that was necessary we spent months talking about what should be up there yeah um curating materials from you know going to the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, library resource and like curating all those materials specifically just every second being very specific about how we wanted to craft the messages mm-hmm. um it's very easy for people to overlook speeches that they've heard before um and so like some of those speeches people have heard in the in the text of the hail stork mm-hmm. they've you know uh, it's difficult to like some people who, you know, kill your children. You know, people have heard these things before. People have heard that justice is, you know, is justice everywhere. People have heard this. Um, but when you pair it with the image of, you know, someone being bitten by a dog on the street who's literally 12 years old, and then a whole stream of kids literally with backpacks on and pigtails being sh- shot down on, in, in the park with a huge hose from a fire truck, you know, and then you come back and you see the police find them dead, bloody, holes in their legs on the floor. Becomes a little bit more real to someone who who thinks that this is only fairy tales, and to be reminded that it only happened forty to sixty years ago. That's you know? that's what blows my mind is that like, you know, all of these black and white images. Like I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's really easy to detach from a black and white image. Yes. Um, because, like, 
you see you see life in color and so to see you feel like to you see, can see the decades you can see that, exactly. that it's history but it's but like this happened like in our parents lifetime yeah. exactly and it's i think that it's something that a lot of people forget and it's mm-hmm. a lot of people it's 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 an easy thing for people to brush aside because there is that disconnect definitely definitely the one thing that i would say that i would have changed about the recital is that i wanted to pair those curated images with images of now mm-hmm. um because it i mean there are some very easy connections and literally just parallels mirrors that could, could make and it would it make it even more real but i think the audience that i performed for the the first time that we did shelter they really received it they really understood it which was fantastic it was nice to have an a, audience, a mix of audience that was both very open to it, an audience who just had no idea what to expect. Um, so that was great. And uh, to the last one, just to put it out there, um, we used uh, Andre Previn's Four Songs, which most people would not even think to put in there. But Toni Morrison's texts, from book to poetry to however you want to say it, uh, her comments playing in the dark on you know English text, it's very black and very feminist. Um, and because I was raised by black females, purely, um, I felt, I resonated with that experience very strongly. And I felt like it was important to the narrative because shelter was not only about what I felt comfortable in knowing because these are the the way I was raised and how I think it's affected my life and how I think it's negatively and positively affected my life. But, um, I also wanted to show that these women raising me and their experiences have also shaped me as a man and my level and what my masculinity is and how I express it. Um, so I loved doing the Prevent Four songs. I also felt very guilty about doing it because I felt that me being a man in this space, portraying these texts, saying these things because I have a higher voice, um, was so much inappropriate. And I definitely wrestled with it for two months. I talked to a lot of people about it and I just was like, I don't think I should be doing this. And... I like really pr- I prayed on it. I consulted a lot of people, and I finally came to the conclusion that I wanted to have a female dancer in the space instead of me, and put everything all the ensemble in the darkness. So we're really just being the narrative to her story. Mm. Um, so luckily, I have an awesome friend who graduated from Princeton dance, um, and also did some education and dance studies at Loyola and now UCLA. Fantastic um, dancer. She does balletic dance and contemporary dance. Um, her name is Tula Strong. She's currently in the LA area. Fantastic. Love her. We went to high school together. And I just asked her on a whim. I was like, would you come and do this with me? And she said, yeah, why not? That's I was awesome. like, what? And she's like, yeah, I'll just make sure you get me a flight. And okay, great, great. You stay with me? Sure. Okay, let's do it. So oh my God. Um, everything was done via satellite. She showed up the day before we ran it. And we performed it the next day. She's great. She choreographed the whole thing. It's a, ver- a lot of music to choreograph. 20 minutes by herself. Yeah. Of very, like, visceral, heavy, hard movement. Uh, because she really... she I love her. Literally, when I asked her about it, she was like, what books do I need? Great. Thank you. And literally bought all the books, had them the next day, ready to go. Read them. Researched. Called me. Asked me questions. Videotaped some things sent them to me. I videotaped things that so she sent to her. And it was perfect. Literally from the first run, I was like, this is exactly what I needed. Nice. So I loved it. We paired it with images of um, 
slow motion clouds that we did in different colors to give it a stain to the white light. She was wearing all white to give the idea of purity, which max matches with a lot of things that Toni Morrison talks about in her very female heavy centered uh, sh short stories and books. Um, and then we did one scene which was of an interracial couple, um, which was supposed to be kind of mimicking uh, post, you know, civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this, this interracial couple was having kind of a, a fight. Everything seemed per picture perfect. And then the man slaps the woman who so happens to be a black woman and the, the man is a white man. And she just cries while it's raining outside. It's kind of all just like slows down at that moment of contact and where masculinity and femininity meet, where races meet. Um, we question it. We think about it. We take a second to just pause and just reflect about, you know, if those lines weren't there, what ha what really happened? You know, and what world do we really live in? Who do we, who are we really, who are we really like fighting in this moment? Like, cause there was definitely a conflict. I saw it, I was singing and I was trying not to pay attention to it, but literally I noticed when it happened on screen, even though I can't see it cause it's right above me. I'm looking out to the people and I'm singing to them and literally everyone said, <gasps> mouths open, just like eyes, like I'm unbelieving that it happened. And I was like, I don't know how to feel. And I, I guess there's no way to feel. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was an important message. I mean, really, it really shows Andre Previn's text, the text he uses from Morrison in that really shows the struggle of being a black woman in the modern age. Um, I think it's fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really curious about um, your feelings on that. Because it sounds... What it what it is is that you have a, uh, a deft ability with understanding how multimedia projects need to function mm -hmm. to to work. Yeah, and not and when I say work, I mean like because of the fact that when you work most of the time, oh well, most of the time, well done multimedia projects are rooted mm -hmm. in something so traditional and so one media, mm -hmm. like the writing of Toni Morrison. Exactly. Um. So I'm. Uh, I'm curious for you if you uh, wouldn't mind just kind of commenting on the um, the importance and, and really just kind of like multimedia programming done well. Right. Um, it all kind of went back to the idea of just like poetry film um, and, and where text is completely important, but the text drives everything that happens on screen, um, generally what you hear audially and on the score. It, 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 it's everything. Yeah. Um, and so I literally went just straight back to text. And that's kind of something that you get taught no matter where you are dealing with music and dealing with song. It's like, mm -hmm. look at the text, draw some lines together, make a theme. And the issue was I already had a theme. I just need to find the text. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd heard a lot of this music in my past, the Hailstork and the Previn I heard on one concert together um, by a great chamber ensemble, the Rich Chamber Players. They are in Florida, and I heard them in Atlanta, and it was fantastic, two, like, three or four years ago. Um, and it changed my life. It really did. Because I never thought about those pieces in any context. Um, and I just, I, there was something about the Morrison being so inherently feminine that I fell in love with. Um, and then seeing a black woman sing it, and then realizing, like, oh, wait, click. Go back to who Toni Morrison is. Toni Morrison is a black woman first, always. She always, like, I mean, think about Sula. Even the things that have, like, male-dominated, uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, Solomon. Mm -hmm. 
like the black woman is the crux of uh essentially black culture, especially in America. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's very much true. It's been true in my family, and I think it's very much true today. So, I mean, she holds true to that, and she brings it forward in the text, and I mean, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I have have, have a question about um, audience for Shelter. Okay. Um, So, did you perform Shelter exclusively in Chicago? I did. Okay. Yes. Um, I'm wondering, are are you from Atlanta? I'm originally from L.A., you're from LA? Yes. And then I did my undergrad in Atlanta. Um, and then I'm here. Nice. So then my my question still still stands. You mm-hmm. know, Los Angeles, Atlanta, and Chicago are mm-hmm. all cities with large, strong black communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, um, have you considered taking shelter to those three cities or to those two cities? I want to. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it. I, I mean, LA would be the first one because Tula, the dancer is already there. Right. Um, we're also considering taking it to Paris in a, in like oh my God. six months. We'll see about that. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Hopefully the French embassy likes it. Um, but we're going to take it to Paris, hopefully. Um, and I want to take it to to more places that don't have that experience. I was talking to a couple of my friends um, and they were like, we're performing in Wisconsin, performing in other places. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And they're like, your recital is needed here because they're just now on the crux of understanding, you know, why does BLM exist? You know, I'm as a person from Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. I can tell you that these stories are needed. there. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I grew up in a very, in like a very segregated like white community and like it was like the people there are, are accepting but that doesn't change the fact that like we didn't have black neighbors right. and like i i wasn't i didn't know anything about that struggle until i went to college in mm-hmm. baltimore and right. that's when i was like oh my god like i've been i've, I've been blind mm-hmm. and so I think that especially if you can get it into schools, yes, that would be, it would be game changing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, well, because it's it's a, I think there's a thing that we're coming to at some point. We need to figure out of reunifying the rural and the urban mm-hmm. because there is no, and I don't even mean that in the like in the like stereotyped racial implications that they that those words bring. I just mean that in a lot of ways, like it's. There are there is way more that um, the poor and the uh, the underprivileged in both of those communities have in common than mm-hmm. they have separately. Definitely. Um, so I think that's really powerful. I don't. Yeah. Sorry. I don't have a question. <laughs> Where so, I'm not always the best journalist. Sometimes I like just talking and not yeah. having. A, yeah. So um, what is so what are you working on next with the Voice Project? Right. Project. So with the voice project, we're kind of picking up where Shelter left off. Um, we're going further into the 20th and 21st centuries and looking at things that have happened or that are happening and really trying to digest it. I kind of used the fire this time in Shelter a little bit, uh, but not so much. This one is very much focused on the fire this time. Again, Jasmine Ward made this compilation of poetry, short stories, and other things that are fantastic. Um, it's not very expensive. It's in Bar- Barnes & Noble. I found it randomly uh, one day, and I loved it. I literally read it in a day. It was mind-blowing. And, it, of course, it's paired with the fire uh, next time, which is James Baldwin's original writing. You know, he writes to his son, and 
or his um is I believe it's his nephew and he's telling him like you know prepare yourself for this is this is the world you're living in um this perpetual rage of the black man you know um and so I I gave that to these composers I the voice project started off with me courting somewhere between forty to sixty composers um just saying like hey this is the project what do you think yeah um and it was met with great response I think. No one has said anything about it being horrible. Everyone was like very much here for it. But yeah. of course, everyone has different schedules and different right. lives. Right. Um, I, one of the composers who I asked is now writing a piece for Lawrence Brownlee on the remnants of the same, same, same idea, same yeah. stream. Um, so I, I mean, if anything, it helped generate some uh, some really good music that I think is going to come out in a year or so. But it's fantastic. We have fifteen composers, thirteen of which from the U.S. Two are from outside the U.S., one's from the U.K., one is from uh, Paris, France. Um, two of the composers are from Ghana, but they've been living here for a while now, and they're fantastic young composers. Um, everyone's from the age 18 to 35, so it's kind of a very specific, specific kind of look and lens at the world, yeah. um, which I kind of did on purpose, because I was like, I don't want this, Har- I don't want this specific Harlem Renaissance Silver Rights movement that perspective. Make, that makes sense to me because that's, I mean, not to say that you like fully covered the nuances of mm-hmm. of that time with Shelter, you know, because there's still so much yes, left. there definitely is. But as far as like nuance of programming, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. we, we, dis- we scratched the surface of yes. then, let's scratch the surface of, of now. now. Exactly. And that was the hope. And and so now we're, we're getting a lot of a large variety i mean there's some pieces that i'm already looking at and i'm afraid to sing them not because they already look crazy hard which is true i mean that's part of it (laughs) but i mean but you're talented i mean i can figure it out if you give me a pen i can slash that bad boy out practice we're good but i mean there's one that um is being that's been proposed and i'm we get all the pieces in january so i'm very excited to see all of them um but it's it's technically the the transcript of the whole Philando Castile thing that went on Facebook Live. Oh God! And it's specifically from the perspective of the girlfriend slash fiance, um, and so it's solo unaccompanied, so I can't bury my emotions anywhere. Yeah. Um, I'm expected to give all the gesture and to give all the emotion and show it because it's technically something that could be videotaped or whatever. So I have to make all of the the guttural sounds and, and the weeping and the sobbing and the and the, the, and the yelling and the these very heavy 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 emotions that exist they exist in me I'm afraid to let them out for ten minutes straight okay. I I've been per, I've been thinking about it for months at yeah. this point now and I'm just like how am I going to do that I think that's gonna be one of the most fruitful pieces on the recording because it's just real. And there's nothing else to cover it up. It's it's just literally the the primal scream that needed to happen for the black community, and I appreciate it wholeheartedly. So I look very I look forward to it. Uh, that's a piece by Anthony Green. He's a fantastic musician, performer, composer. So I'm really excited about that. Once I get the score, um, and then there's just like a lot of other pieces that I'm excited about that that drive me to research. We were talking about um, me and uh, B.E. Boykin, uh, a fantastic composer in the Atlanta area. She's beautiful, 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 beautiful musician and composer. Um, she, We were talking about, oh, you know, my Angelou Toni Morrison, like, great female 
African-American writers Mm -hmm. um, because we we still want, we need that female perspective. It's constantly overshadowed. Um, And then she was like, what about this other person? And whose name I still can't remember to this day because someone literally who's like somewhere in 30, 40s age group and they're living in the South and black female. And she's like, she's very much in today. She's very much has a perspective about today. And I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's have it. So I'm excited to have that dialogue. And I actually am excited that I get to talk to the writer. Mm-hmm. You know, she's living. And, I, you know, I have the contact between the composer. So I'm excited about that. Um, there's also another piece by Jen Zidson. He's a fantastic young composer. He's literally 18, 19 years old. Oh um, he's working with Missy Mazzoli. Um, and oh he has this really deep interest in, in Eastern-styled music. Um, and so he purposely looking back to old Arabic traditions mm-hmm. and he found this group of non-gender conforming slash like non-binary slash also LGBT men um, who were the premier singers of the music, early music of the Arabic faith. Um, wow. So the, uh, yeah. the Islamic faith rather. Um, and so there are these very high falsetto soprano singers who like mm-hmm. literally have like stratospheric notes. Um, and so he wanted to do that for me, knowing that I have an, an extended range beyond most countertenors. Um, he's like, you have to try this. So we're going to do it. We're still trying to figure out if we're going to use period instruments or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really excited about that and to do further research about these men who live these lives. They're so parallel to the lives that we see today. Um, so hopefully someone will be able to find their mirror in that, you know, in that time and, and find, you know, some peace and solace in seeing that, like, your life, your story, your narrative is not new. Like, there's, there are people who are like you, who are out there, and, yeah. yeah. It's uh, very exciting, and I, <coughs> what I think is great about that is it's dispelling the myth that it doesn't exist. Right. Because there is a, and it's made by the, like, mainstream culture uh, consuming public that we have right now that is so white that is so male and mm-hmm. the, the to do to have that and to this because it's this although is like an awesome like piece of the of it there is it's not the only case where right there are there is so much existing material well and also i think it's i think it's a particularly important you know uncovering of information yes. especially yeah. considering the rampant Islamophobia mm-hmm. and how yep. and the misconceptions of gender roles and ge- and just like gender mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like within that community and so I, I think that it's like especially important now to bring to light that yes. like this was the origin of the faith exactly so that's incredible yeah. I'm so that's I'm so glad I know that yeah I'm like <laughs> incredibly fascinated by that piece and. Every time I see it, like a new little excerpt from it, I'm just like, "This is gonna be great!" Yeah. I'm so excited. Um, the other, the last one that I would would mention um, is by Joel Thompson. If you've not heard his name, he's rising up composer. He's fantastic. He did this um, this piece. I'm actually trying to remember the name. I may have to look it up. Um, but it is about all of the young black men and women who have been killed by policemen. Um, it's for orchestra and for uh, TCBB chorus. Mm-hmm. It's been performed uh, quite a bit and has had much acclaim. And he was actually the first person that I contacted on this project, and he's the first person to say yes. Um, 
And he's coming back. I'm actually, I need to know this piece. Seven Last Words of the Unarmed. That's the name mm. of the piece. Um, it's fantastic. It's hard-hitting. It's beautiful. It's literally, you'll, you'll cry if you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I immediately contacted him. I was like, we have to work together. I love you. Like, this is great. We have to do this piece. Um, and he was like, yeah, gung-ho for it. Let me get the books. And he just, like, started going at it. Um, so he decided, after visiting um, the church in the Carolinas, back when President Obama was president, uh, that was initially shot up with, by Dylan Roof. Mm-hmm. Um, he he had the experience. He went to go visit. He met someone who was related to one of the people who were killed, um, and he was deeply impacted by that. And so he's gonna, I, from what he tells me, he's gonna write something with string quartet and me that is kind of reliving that experience and then transporting us to what are the lessons we've learned from that. Uh, going forward and like how can we grow and move forward from that um and i think it's really important i mean especially what just happened in texas recently you know mm-hmm. what is a self what is a safe place what is a shelter what mm-hmm. is you know yeah what can you consider to be something that you can call home and not feel like you're going to die at any moment yeah. um and that's kind of like the the transition of the first world becoming the rest of the world mm-hmm. essentially yeah um but I mean, it, it, it's I think it's a necessary look at humanity, and I appreciate it. So that's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we actually have a few minutes left. Okay. Uh, so the thing, last week thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like uh, talking a bit about uh, more about where folks can find out about uh, your projects. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, we also really love hearing about self care stuff. Yeah. Um, big on uh, like. Books, movies, TV shows, uh, just general stuff that you're consuming. I haven't Mm -hmm. done this in a while. I forgot how it goes. (laughs) Um, Cool. So, yeah. Yes. Well, last plug, voicedproject.com. Voicedproject.com. Please go see. You can see all the composers there. You get a little bio about them. You can go to their own websites and hear some of their music that they already have out. Um, As the project goes forward, we're putting a lot more videos up of the the whole process. Um, I'm excited because we're going to actually have some of the kids that we've been working with in the high schools come and be a part of the recording session so they can actually see what it's like to to record, have their input about the music and how it affects them and what Mm -hmm. they're hearing. Um, So they actually get to be very much a part of the creative process, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And these are both orchestral and choir students. Um, I look forward to trying to work with more high school students who are at CPS schools. So CPS, shout me out if you want anyone. Mm -hmm. Like, I will go do it. I love working with kids um, because they are our future and they're the ones who are going to carry this message forward. Mm -hmm. Um, The important thing about this whole album project is, like, if you see any concerts that are going to happen, we're trying to do a spiritual concert in February. Mm -hmm. Spiritual is an African-American art song uh, concert in February with a couple of singers that I know. You know, please come, enjoy. They're usually free events. Everything that we do is free and just out there for people to enjoy, absorb, and learn from and have a dialogue with us about. Mm-hmm. Um, feel free to talk. Feel free to have that conversation. Um, because that's what, I mean, that's the goal. Yeah. I mean, that's the ending goal. Um, there will be a gala performance for this June 23rd, uh, which I believe is a Saturday, at 7 p.m. at Elastic Arts. Um, which will have all the pieces premiered just about. Um, and there will be another concert in Evanston, which we're still scheduling. Great. So I hope you guys can come to the, at least the one at Elastic Arts. Yeah. Um, it'll be fun. Some of the composers will be there, so you actually get to talk to them. Um, you get to talk to me as the featured artist. And we have like 20 collaborative artists on this project, so you get to talk to them about the process of making the music. Um, super excited. Love you guys. 
thank you for everything. Like, it's awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Oh um, yeah, and we'll make sure to link to all of that when we post this episode of the podcast. And when this stuff comes up, um, well, and I'll tell you this on air. We usually tell this to people out after the show. Um, but we, the way that we do this is we have folks on uh, whenever they have stuff upcoming. So whenever mm-hmm. you feel like coming back on, please do. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, we'd love to have you back to yeah, talk so about things as, as it develops and stuff. Feel free to message us whenever. Yeah. Okay. We will gladly have you back on. Because this, yeah. this was delightful and so enlightening. And, yeah. Yeah. And so to that end, too, uh, as those events come closer, we'll, we'll share them and everything like that. Yeah, sounds To make awesome. sure that folks know about it, because that's important to us. Um, cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are so many ways that you can do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. Hopefully by now it's up. We've been living in this terrifying world where it's been down for like four days. And mm-hmm. I'm just like... Oh, not man, four it's not. days. Like <laughs> well, two days. We, I promised to not post anything new Wednesday. It's Tuesday now. And I'm glad. It, the site looks amazing. Zach Harris has done amazing work. He's, for like, the how much work it's done, it's been done so quickly and mm-hmm. well and thoughtful. And just Zach Harris, Birds and Kings, He's he made our new logo. He's, like, helping with the website design. Just an absolute godsend. And... A fantastic so anyway so when you're hearing this the new site will be up this is our first episode we've been recording that we've recorded in which that will be the case mm-hmm. the opera on tap episode will go up before this one uh and was before we it was anyway it super doesn't matter the timing of all of it but my point being um do check out scopymag.com it's a very exciting time for us we're rebuilding everything entirely uh otherwise you can keep up with us on social media on facebook we're under scopy magazine on instagram twitter tumblr google play uh itunes podcasts and radio public we are under scopy mag and we spell that s-c-a-p-i-m-a-g and as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, and head to our donate section. There are a couple ways that you can give. Uh, first of all, you can do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you'll have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, some cool things will happen. First of all, our next two donors at any level will receive a free bag of half-wit coffee. And beyond that, we're, we are tinkering our um, rewards for our levels of giving. But if you're interested in advertising or supporting our mission of uplifting local arts and independent media at a higher level, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to talk to you. So, give a little give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.